Good morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some fine folks. Look at these fine folks passing out Bibles for us today. Let's thank them for their service. Our young people. You're welcome to keep that Bible if you don't have one. This morning, we're in a study of the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining with us, we want to encourage you to just start reading right through the book of Mark. But the big picture that Mark's portraying to us is that in the first eight chapters, he's clarifying who Jesus is. Because the disciples did not understand who he was. And if you don't know who he is, then how are you going to commit to follow him? Who are you following if you don't know who he is? So last week we saw that Mark focuses way more on what Jesus did than on what Jesus taught. Frequently in Mark, he'll say, Jesus was here teaching, Jesus was here teaching. But once in a while, he'll talk about what Jesus taught. And chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark is about some of the things that Jesus taught. It's not everything he taught, but primarily chapter 4 is about the mystery of the kingdom. So look with me in chapter 4, in verse 10. He began speaking in parables, and he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. And so the, the parables of this chapter are about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. And so as we're going through this chapter, picture Jesus. He's got these heavenly truths that he, that he wants them to learn. They do not yet see clearly who he is. So he's saying, look, to you it's being given to understand who I am and what my kingdom involves. But they still don't get it, so he's trying to teach them. So you know when you're trying to teach somebody, you, you're looking for an illustration, you're like, well... Let, let me compare it. So look down in chapter 4 at verse 30. Jesus wants them to grasp who he is and what his kingdom is. So he goes, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Hmm, by what parable shall we present it? So, so you can see Jesus is working with these guys. I'm not even sure where they are in their spiritual condition yet because at the end of the chapter he goes, don't you, don't you yet have any faith? So last week we saw this, that Jesus told the parable of the seed and the sower, and we learned primarily that when God reveals Jesus to you and you figure out who he is, the result is a changed life. You become a follower, a lasting follower. You're not going to fall away, and you're going to become a follower who bears luscious fruit. There's going to be this, this change in your life and your character and in your conduct. And as you're reading, Mark, ask yourself, do I, do I feel like I'm on that way yet? Have I entered that journey? And so Jesus is going to continue to teach us about himself and about his kingdom. And we're going to begin in verse 21 through 25. And this time Jesus is going to give them a parable to say this. And this is what I want you to see. That Jesus and his kingdom are hidden in plain sight. Well, wait a minute, how, if it's in plain sight, how can it be hidden? verse 21. Jesus said to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a peck measure, is it? It's not bought to be put under a bed. Isn't it brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except it's to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. So he's going, okay, I want you to think about this. Now remember that these parables of Jesus each author of the Gospels has different concerns, and so there's a little bit of a 
a flexibility to the parables. When this parable is told in Matthew, it has a little different focus. The focus there is on the person bringing the, the lamp into the room. No one lights a lamp to hide it. But here, the, the focus is on the lamp itself. Literally, it reads, a lamp doesn't come into the room to be hidden. And so what I want you to see here is, I think, what Jesus is teaching us here is that he himself is the lamp. In this parable, Jesus is the lamp. Okay, he's not talking about you and me going, this little light of mine. It's him. He's a lamp. In fact, in the Old Testament, when God predicted the coming of the Messiah, sometimes he called the coming of the Messiah a lamp. For example, in 2 Kings 8, it says this in verse 19, the Lord was not willing to destroy the nation of Judah or the, the tribe of Judah, because of the sake of his servant David, because God promised David that he would give him a lamp through his sons always. So I want you to picture Jesus is, is saying here, I'm the lamp, right? I didn't come to be hidden. But yet, notice in verse 22, he says, nothing is hidden except it is to be revealed, and nothing's in secret unless it should come to light. Now again, he's, he's He's not talking about, oh, your words that are in private are going to come public. Here he's talking about something that's very interesting. He says, you don't hide something to keep it concealed. Now, technically, that's not always true. We actually hide things for two reasons. Sometimes I hide things because I don't want people to find it. When I'm on vacation, if I have my visa or my passport, I don't leave it out on the table when I leave the room for, for the, the custodians to come in and clean my room and be tempted to go, ooh, I'd like to have that. I hide it on purpose. I don't want them to find it, right? So sometimes we hide things because we don't want them to be found. But sometimes we hide things, but we want them to be found. Any of your husband's a little romantic instead of just going, hey, I got your card. They leave it on the table. They don't want you to not find it. Or her, my wife, sometimes when I've gone on vacation, she'll, she'll put a card in my suitcase. <laughs> Stop. I, oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it's hidden, but she wants it to be found. I think that's the point here. Jesus is saying, look, in a sense, I'm hidden, but I'm here in plain sight to be revealed. It reminds me of what John said in, in the Gospel of John. He says, Jesus created all things. But then it says this, like a light, he shined in the darkness, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. It's like, the guy that just walked by, he's God, but they didn't get it. In, in John 1.12, it says, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So I think the point of this parable, Jesus is saying, as I have now arrived, and these guys are still... They're going to later say in this chapter, who is this man? Jesus is going, I'm, I'm the lamp, I'm the light, I'm the Messiah, and I'm building my kingdom. So, what's interesting is, they're starting to get focused on him, but here's his danger, and this is, we need to hear this. So he takes this idea that I'm hidden in plain sight, so he goes, so you better stay locked in here. Tune in, or you're going to get tuned out. You go, what? So, so look at verse 24, because there's a connection here. He was saying to them, 
take care what you listen to. And you're like, oh, I do, Pastor. I don't listen to them, them devil music and I don't listen to uh, dirty jokes. No, that's not what he's talking about here. Take care what you listen to. Now watch. He says, by your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you and more shall be given to you beside. Now remember, he just talked about to you it has been given to understand me. So he's going, when it comes to Jesus, he's going, stay with me, lock it in, don't lose focus, especially when you're beginning the journey. Because notice what he warns, for whoever has to him shall more be given. Whoever does, does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. I thought about this. Sometimes a radio show will have, a radio program will have a, a special prize. They'll say, listen carefully, and when you hear a phrase or a song, call in and you'll get a prize, right? And once in a while, we were like, oh, I want to pay attention. But imagine if they said this, listen carefully, because if you don't call in, we're going to come and take your phone away from you. I'd be like, whoa. So Jesus goes, you better listen to who I am and follow me. Follow me long term, because if you don't, even what you have will be taken from you. It reminds me of, uh, if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, there were a group of people that, that started out well. They were, they were really interested in following Christ, but they began to drift away, right? And, and, I, and I thought about even here, how many people have I seen come, get baptized, and they're gone? Specifically, people I, I've known, at least two of them, that, that got so excited they, they read the whole Bible, right? And during that time where they were reading the Bible, it was glorious, like, wow, praise the Lord. They're really seeming to get it. So Jesus goes, take care what you listen to. I, I know too many people that I've personally shared the gospel with who were studying the Bible with me for a while, but now they're like, see, it wouldn't want to be you. That's scary. So Hebrews chapter 2, the author said, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we heard so that we don't drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So there's a warning here. One commentary said it this way. He said, picture yourself a prisoner and you have one chance of escape. And someone comes in, he says, now I'm going to give you the instructions. Listen carefully, because this is your only chance, is if you listen to me. Your, your escape depends on hearing and solving a riddle, right? That's what life's like. The Bible says the whole world is in the power of Satan, and they're going to hell. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. There's only one way out. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. But I can't tell you how many people heard that and are mildly interested in that. Mm, yeah, I, you know, that's interesting. Jesus is going, be careful. Don't slip away. In fact, as one author said, sometimes people who hear this joyous invitation to enter the kingdom fade into a mirage of disbelief. So I think this is a great, great thing to think about. Jesus lives. He wants us to seek him and trust him and believe in him. And people come through the doors of churches all the time and in and out of Bible studies. 
But Jesus is looking for people who will leap onto the highway and follow him by faith and stay focused and come hell or high water, I'm not turning aside because the stakes are far too high. All right, you say, Jesus, okay, I get it. Secondly, Jesus is going to teach us when it comes to coming to know him and following him and spreading his kingdom, the second thing we're going to find here is that this next parable, that Jesus and his kingdom, they spread slowly, surprisingly, supernaturally, and selectively. So notice verse 26. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is, is like a man who casts seed on a ground. Now they're surprising. Wait, God, you're going to establish your kingdom? How are you coming, Lord? You're coming back on a white horse and kicking some, opening up a can? Woo, I want to see this. And he goes, well, no, no, I want you to picture it this way. It's like some guy just going like this, throwing seeds on the ground. That's surprising. That's not how I would expect the kingdom of God to come to earth. Throwing a few seeds on the ground. It doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like the right way to come. You would expect it to be glorious, a gladiator. But the paradox of the gospel, even the scandal, is that Christ came surprisingly, just sowing seeds on the ground. But it also comes slowly. See, we expect everything to happen at once. We're Americans, instant. Look at verse 27. So he says, this guy sowed seeds on the ground, then he goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day. You're like, well, that, that seems pretty ordinary. Well, while you were sleeping, it says, the seed sprouts up and grows. How himself, he doesn't know. So here I want you to see that the, the gospel, it spreads slowly. It's not a one-day job. You don't you don't throw a seed in and boom, you got, you got produce. It's slowly. And this is important for us to understand as you're raising your children, okay? We want decisions. We want Billy at Backyard Bible Club to say the prayer. We want all our friends. When I first got saved, I wanted people saved. I would chase them literally, right? And they were, oh, this guy's crazy. I had zeal without knowledge. But we have to understand that the gospel spreads slowly, even in the hearts of our children, and we teach them over and over, and we sing, and, and we, we memorize scriptures, and, and we pray for the Sunday school teachers and vacation Bible school. But how it grows, we don't know, but we watch patiently. First the blade. Suddenly we see a person with a little bit of interest. Hey, I, I might want to come back. Do, could you recommend a book I could read? Th then the ear, then, then fruit, and that's what we long for to see in the lives of our children. But what's so cool about this supernatural work is that the, the Greek word that's used here is automate. It's where we get the word automatic. You see, seeds grow automatically because it's a supernatural work. I didn't do anything. All I did was just throw the seeds, right? And that's the beauty of this book. It's alive. It's powerful. It won't return void. We share it. We pray over it. We teach it. You listen to it. And God does this work inside the hearts of people supernaturally. And it begins to advance 
In fact, Paul said the gospel is going forth in all the world. It's bearing fruit and increasing. And what's exciting is that too many young preachers nowadays think you have to have special stuff to keep people interested. Dog and pony shows, lay yourself on fire, have a puppy up there. You don't need that. The word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus has power in and of itself. And God, as we pray together, awakens hearts. And so there's a balance here. You see, some Christians are, are way too lazy. Some of you need to wake up and get busy for Christ. The Lord Jesus would say to you, your works are dead. But other Christians are so busy that they forget that, wait a minute, you're not the one, I'm not the one bringing the kingdom, he is. Psalm 127 says, it's vain to rise up early and stay up late because he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. Now, that doesn't mean we want to find you sleeping on the couch between jobs for three years, living in mom and dad's basement, but there's a balance there that says the gospel message, the, the kingdom of God is, is growing supernaturally. Jesus says he doesn't even know how, but it also is growing selectively because look at verse 29. It says, when the crop permits, when the time comes, he immediately puts in the sickle because, because the harvest time has come. Now, I wonder what that's like to make that decision. A friend of mine right now, he, he left Saturday to go harvest cherries for 30 days from 4 in the morning to late in the day. But who makes the decision? Now we're picking them. Because maybe one more day, and we might have some, you know, we might get some more cherries. But one day too many, and the cherries are going bad. And then we go to the grocery store, and they're all bad, right? So think about this. God is harvesting souls selectively. It's not helter-skelter. The Bible says the Lord is adding to the church those who are being saved. He's calling people. He already knows exactly who he's going to bring to himself. In fact, there's this beautiful passage in John 10. Jesus, as he describes himself as a shepherd, he goes, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. So God is carefully and selectively building his church. I want to be a part of that, but there's going to come a day when the Lord's going to say, that's the last one. Close the door like on Noah's Ark. That's it. It's time for the harvest. And as you think about the harvest here, think about the harvest as a two-edged sword. I'm looking forward to the harvest because I'm saved by grace. And so when Jesus spoke of the harvest, sometimes he would say things like this, like in Matthew. He said, in the harvest time, I will say to the reapers, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up. But gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I'm like, take me, Lord, like wheat into your barn. And so as you think about that harvest, there's a day coming that God has, he's adding to the church today. And, and I'm begging God, I'm pleading, Lord, even in, in our church, bring hundreds, even thousands to Christ. Pray that the gospel will spread. But know that God's got this. And so Jesus is teaching us here, listen, I'm hidden in plain sight and my kingdom is growing slowly and supernaturally and selectively. But it's going to have a stopping point. Jesus is on a roll. He goes, let me give you another one. I, I can just see him there. He goes, verse 30, how shall I picture the kingdom of God? By what parable shall we present it? So now he's got a third truth for us. And this time he's going to tell us something else about him and his kingdom. And that's this. 
that though it starts insignificantly, it's going to grow exponentially internationally. I love this parable. This is so cool. He goes, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the ground, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. It forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. I don't know why Jesus didn't use bamboo. My neighbor has bamboo. Now I do. <laughs> but either way, think, it's insignificant, a tiny little seed, but, but it's going to grow. And, and I thought about that. Think about how the gospel starts insignificantly. So the angels are going, so Jesus, you're going down there to start your kingdom? Yeah. Oh, I want to be a part of that. Can I come with you in flaming fire? Nope. I'm just going to be born in Nazareth. Nazareth? What? You're going to come in a palace, right? No, nobody's really going to see it. In fact, Isaiah said it this way. He said, Lord, who believed our report? Jesus grew up before him like a, like a, like a little weed out of a dry ground. You ever try, I'm trying to grow grass right now. It's tough, man. It's tough. You're like, Pastor, you just said, let it go. Trust the Lord. Well, you got to water it, right? But Jesus, out of a dry ground, this, he, how does he come to earth? Nobody notices him. Even his appearance, Isaiah says he has no, no stately former majesty that we would be attracted to him. Men hid their faces from him. He was despised and rejected by men. Think about how insignificantly the gospel started. Here's little Jesus, quiet, poor. And even as he begins to gather followers, the gospel tells us, and they all forsook him. You're like, Jesus, we need to, re we need to reboot. We got to start this over again. You need a better marketing strategy. Jesus, we need to get you on Instagram or something because this thing is not looking good. Everybody left you. And Jesus is like, started like a little mustard seed. But when that crucified Savior came out of the ground, and here we are 2,000 years later, and we're going, whoa, there's Christians all over the place, all over the world. It started so small. It rose from obscurity, utterly impossible. In fact, when I read the book of Acts, I feel that momentum of the, of the mustard seed growing. Read the book of Acts and look for verses like this. Then 3,000 souls were added, Acts 2.41. Acts 4.4. Then many who heard the message believed, and the number came to be 5,000. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. And then all the more believers were added to the Lord, multitude of men and women constantly added to their number. Acts 19.20, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Do you just look at that and go, yeah, that was back then, good old days. No, that's happening right now. You go, I ain't seeing it. We'll talk to people in Syria where Muslims are streaming to Christ in the midst of great persecution. But there's no reason why that can't happen here. But I don't think it's going to happen until God's people get serious about prayer. We had a beautiful and powerful prayer meeting Friday night. Would to God that this place was filled with praying Christians. 
pleading with God in the book of Acts because those people prayed for the Spirit of God to move, for people to be awakened and get saved and repent and be changed. And I ask God, do that here. Do that in Bucks County. Do that in Trenton, Lord. Do that in our lives. Do that in my neighborhood. But notice that it also expands internationally. Jesus throws him a little curveball. He says, then when it gets real big, look at verse 32. He says, it forms these large branches so that the birds of the air can come and nest under its shade. That's going to say the next verse. And he was explaining the parables to them. Jesus, what's, what's with the birds? Is there, is there a point to that? I think there is. If you were to read the Old Testament, you would find that the prophets would occasionally use the image of birds to represent the Gentile nations. That God's people, the nation of Israel, were not just another way to get to heaven. They were the only way to get to heaven. When Jesus was on earth, the woman at the well said, you Jews do it this way. We do it this way. Who's right? And Jesus didn't say, we're all right. We're pluralistic. Every way is a good way. He goes, salvation's from the Jews because the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrews is the only God, right? Well, then who are these birds? Ezekiel 31.6 says this. As, as Ezekiel used this illustration, he said, all the birds of the heavens nested under its bow. All the beasts of the field gave birth. And all the great nations lived under its shade. This is cool to think about. Jesus is like, we're blowing it wide open, guys. You don't get it yet. But by the time I'm ready to go back up there, the last thing I'm going to tell you is go into all the nations. And so John fast forwards us to the book of Revelation. And this is what he says in, in Revelation chapter 5. It says, they sang a new song. And by the way, let me just say a side note. Some of you need to upgrade your singing. Now, I'm going to give you a pass here. Maybe you don't know the song, right? But if you're like, I'm not all into that, you know, all the singing about Jesus, and, you know, I'm not getting much out of that. I got news for you. It's not for you. And you're going to feel weird when you get to heaven because in heaven, that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing, you are worthy, Jesus. We're going to be praising him. And I don't think it's going to fly to say, well, that's just not me, Right? So if your heart, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I'm not really into it. Tell your soul, wake up, soul. We're singing to Jesus. We're praising his name. But I love this verse because John says, they sang a new song, a picture in heaven. They sang, worthy are you to take the scroll. You were slain, Lord Jesus. You purchased us to God with your blood. You ready for this? Kingdom. You made us to be a kingdom people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's cool. Think about that. Right now, the gospel's going out into wor the world. And you're like, yeah, I'm glad somebody's reaching them there, natives. Listen, we're all birds. We're not the tree here in America. But sometimes I think God has to swat us and say, if you won't go get the birds, then I'm bringing the birds here. Because it's the gospel truth that there are people groups from just about everywhere on the planet right in our neighborhood. And what are we doing about it? Ugh, stay away from them, right? The birds of the air are taking refuge under its branches. And it's exciting to, to have a church that's getting a passion for the engine of missions and prayer and giving and sending. The Lord Jesus said, pray that many more laborers would be sent out into the harvest.
What if my daughter comes to me and says, Dad, God's calling us to Tajikistan. No! Wait, yeah! Oh. Wow. Jesus says this gospel is starting insignificantly, but it's growing exponentially. It's spreading internationally. And so put that in your prayers. It's not just about us. It's about the world, world evangelism. Campus crusade, the Jesus film, missionaries taking the gospel, finding ways to reach our community. Praise God, we have a precious sister that's coming here. She's a Liberian. She came here and she just started praying with other Liberians. And now they have a little church that's in Bristol. We have a Pakistani young man who, who considers us his home church. He's a little daughter church down in Philly of, of Pakistanis being reached for the gospel. Praise God. Jesus is telling us the birds of the hairs. And I'm so thankful that like a little bird, the Lord opened my eyes and I flew under the tree of Jesus. Amen? So let's bring some more birds under the tree. And then finally Jesus is going to teach us one last thing. I love this part. So Mark's like, okay, there's some teachings of Jesus. Okay, there's some parables. He's hidden in plain sight. And you need to remember that. He says... His kingdom is spreading slowly and selectively, supernaturally. So, so get on the game. Be patient. And it's insignificant, but it's expanding. And now Mark's going to turn his subject. It's still the clarifying Jesus, but now it's about his followers and watching what Jesus does. Okay? So in this story, a familiar story, Jesus gets on a boat and a storm comes and he falls asleep. The first thing we ought not to do is, is miss the connection with Jonah. It's exactly what happened to Jonah, right? Jonah gets on a boat, he goes down and he falls asleep during a storm. But, but Jesus was using that storm to teach us a significant truth about being his followers. It's one thing to say you're his follower, it's another thing to follow him by faith. And so let's look at this parable and say, Lord, what are you teaching them that you're teaching me? It says, now remember, he's probably still on a boat. Remember earlier, he's, he's teaching from a boat. By the way, I want to take up an offering. I think I need to get a yacht here so I can... <laughs> you think that will work? No, no. I don't need a jet or a boat. Kick me out the day I want to teach from a boat. Just throw me off the boat. All right, here we go. So he's teaching in a boat, verse 35. On the next day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go to the other side. Now, this is cool. He's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He wants to go west, young man. You know why? I, I, I'm thinking backwards. He's on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. He wants to go east. You know why? Because that's where the Gentiles are. Next Sunday, we're going to see him show up in the Gentile region, and a demoniac Gadarene's going to meet him. He goes, the birds of the air gather. Let's go get some of them birds. So he gets out of his boat into another boat, and they head out. It says, leaving the multitude, they took him along with them just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with them. You ever been to a a boat parade, you're like, what? Go down to Ocean City on 4th of July. They have a little boat parade, you know. All these boats are jostling, right? So Jesus gets in the boat with them. Probably about, they were about 20-some feet long. They had four oars. So Jesus is like, man, I'm exhausted. Let me just get some chill. So he goes to take a nap. This is hysterical. A fierce gale of wind comes. The waves are breaking over the boat so that the boat was already filling up. Wish my wife slept like that. If I just go like this, I wake her up, you know, so, so some people, some of you are like that, you know, and some of you are like, no, you don't, 
because I tell my spouse I'm pouring out my deepest dreams to them, and they're like, <laughs> but Jesus is deep asleep. This is funny, right? He's sound asleep, and this storm's going on. And they woke him in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? I want to give you a tip here. I know of only two times when Jesus had his followers say to him, Lord, don't you care? And neither time did it go well. <laughs> now, I understand, right? I'm not throwing these guys under the bus because sometimes I do the same thing. Lord, I've been praying about this. Don't you hear me? Right? But there's a difference between don't you hear me and don't you care? Right? Martha tried that once, right? Jesus comes over for dinner. Mary's going, I want to just feed. I want to sit at his feet and grow and learn. This is awesome. Martha, you should come listen. Jesus is teaching. And Martha's running around. We got to get dinner ready for Jesus. Jesus, don't you care my sister's not helping? And Jesus goes, Martha, you're all worried about many things, Martha. There's only one thing that's most important. Hint, it's what she's doing, sitting at my feet, feeding and growing and learning. Make that your priority. In this case, they're going, don't you care? I mean, here's a way to think of it. Anytime the devil reminds us to start saying, don't you care, just go like this. Because this is what Paul said. If he didn't spare his own son, how shall he not freely give us all things? If I ever wonder if he cares, I don't need a sign from heaven. I already have one. The cross. That's the care package. In fact, my son-in-law put out a blog the other day, and this, he said, we should love God and love our neighbor and and, and the neighbor said, how can, somebody wrote back, how can I love God when I have all these blank, blank neighbors? And the first thing I thought about is anybody who writes that kind of stuff is a blank, blank neighbor, right? People don't just do that, right? But I said, he goes, how could God care about us? I say, I said, write back to him and say, God sent his son to, for you. That's how he cares for you. So Jesus, don't you care? But I love what Jesus does. He gets up and he rebukes the wind. And this is a strong word. This is the same word for rebuking demons. In the Bible, the storms are always a picture of rebellion. And God goes, stop it and calm down. Hush me still. And, and it's in a tense that means, and stay still. And it just went flat. Right? And then look what he says to them. Why are you so fearful? Why are you, so, why are you freaking out? Now, this is important. It says, how is it that you have no faith? But literally, in the original language, and some translations said this, he goes, how come you do not yet have faith? Now that's, that's different, not just, hey man, we're, why do you not yet have faith? Not yet? What do you mean not yet? Guys, this is not day one of school. I've done a lot of stuff, you've already seen it. How is it that you do not yet have faith? Now when you think about this, two things about faith. Number one, faith has a starting point. Okay? So the first thing I want you to see is Jesus, his miracles, his teaching are designed to ignite faith. So think of Jesus as propane and a clicker, right? You're like, uh-oh, we've all seen this one, right? Honey, I think the propane's running, click, click, but I can't tell if it's lit. Hey, uh, what happened to your eyebrows, Mac, right? <laughs> what we're looking at, and I've had that because you got the flavor bars, I can't, is it lit, Right? So Jesus is like, I've been blowing gospel propane, doing miracles. How is it that nothing's, there's no faith yet? 
Your faith, you do not yet have faith? So here's something I want you to think about. You don't osmosis into becoming a Christian. There is a point in time in which faith is ignited in your heart. It is a decision. And here's when my radar goes, Deet! whenever I meet someone who says, well, I grew up in a Christian home, I've always been a Christian. You've always been a Christian. You can't always be a Christian. You're not born a Christian. At some point in your life, you hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you make a decision to trust and follow Christ. Now, here's where it's important. Faith has a starting point. Don't worry if you can't remember when it started. The Bible doesn't make a big deal about what wonderful, wonderful day that you'll never forget. It doesn't matter when you were saved, but it matters extremely that you are saved and that you know that you have passed from death to life. You don't have to see the sunrise to know it's sunny out. So I'm pleading with some of you who still are like, eh, I don't know if I'm saved. If you don't know if you're saved, there's nothing else more important than that. Jesus said, strive to enter by the narrow gate. We want to help you. Many people have doubts and fears and are not sure, but don't just walk out of here and just pay attention, Jesus says. Be careful. So if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Christ or you're not sure about it, that's what we're pleading for you. And I don't want to work you into emotion. We'll sing 20 lines until I beg you to come down here because God's going to open your eyes. God's going to bring you to faith. Harry Ironside down at Teth Press used to say, now I'm done preaching. I'm going to my office. If you have any questions, come see me. You're like, no, Harry, you got to do 10 lines of just as I am and beg them to come forward. Nothing wrong with that. But the point is, faith has to have a starting point. But then, it has to grow. You have to fan the flames. So here's where you and I need to get on board. Once I begin that journey, then I start experiencing troubles and storms and things in my life. And that's where my faith is either going to flourish or flounder. So this is important because you'll notice Jesus says, why are you afraid? Implication, growing faith helps me overcome fear. Think about how much fear and anxiety dominates our cultures. Do you know that's the number one struggle of young people nowadays is fear? Fear? I, can't, I, I was shocked when I found out that there's a huge decline among kids that are getting their driver's license. Man, when I was a kid, that was, there was, that was your rite of passage. On the day that you were able, you were dragging your parents. We're getting my license, right? Nowadays, there's fear. Fear of the future. Fear of how am I going to support myself. Fear for my children. I have to protect them. Fear of war, fear of disease. Does that kid have measles? Is he vaccinated? Fear that my marriage is going to blow up. What, if my, what about my children? Fear, fear. And Jesus goes, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? And we say, oh, pastor, preach it, brother. But I'll be the first one to say, I still freak out. Now, by the grace of God, they're internal, right? Some of you still haven't even received grace to stop freaking out externally, right? But I, I admit it. Sometimes I'll hear something about one of my kids or some that's really dear to me, and I get, <gasps> right? 
and I get worried, and I, I start thinking, i got to figure this out. i got to help them. i got to do something. And I picture Jesus looking over and saying, Tom, why are you so afraid here? How is it that you have no... Where's your faith, Tom? And so I want you to think about this. You don't really even know how strong your faith is until you face some adversity. So how are you doing with adversity? You're like, why are my parents like that? Why did, they, why did somebody mess me up? Well, how are you handling that? And I can tell you this. It's not just have faith in your faith. It's have faith in him, the Lord Jesus. And the more God opens my eyes, the more I find out that there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. No one can heal all my soul's diseases. Jesus knows all about my troubles, and he will keep till the day is done. And so I run to him. I take my burdens to him. I get my fearful, frail little self in my prayer pouch. I pray in a little, you could picture me there and pray for me to stay there in my little prayer bean bag. And I pour out my heart to Jesus. And Jesus comes and he, and he blesses. And, and, and oh, what peace we often forfeit. All because we don't learn how to follow him by faith and pray about it and trust his promises. So I find this story to be so encouraging. But I want to close with a couple thoughts. Jesus says, look, my kingdom is hidden in plain sight. So, first application, pay attention. Pay attention. Don't think that, oh, I've been in this for a while. There's a lot of people that constantly drift away from the gospel. This, even our services can fluctuate by over 100 people any Sunday. And it's not uncommon to say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so. Fine, if they're at another church, not that we want them to go away, but one thing to be going to another church and following Christ is another thing. Oh, yeah, we, we just don't go anymore. You know, we, you know we, other things, we're really busy. Jesus says, pay attention. Pray for your kids. Secondly, be patient. First the blade, then the ear. Go to sleep. Wake up. God's doing his work, and I just have to trust him. I wish, I wish the walls were bursting here and we had to have four services. But I can wait and keep praying. Not because I want to get a Maserati and start my TV evangelism, because I want to see people saved, don't you? I want to see the kingdom of God growing like a mustard plant. And birds should be welcome here. And there's some strange birds out there. <laughs> and we're one of them. My friends kept calling me a flamingo, and I had enough. I put my foot down. <laughs> we got angry birds here, but angry birds can come to Jesus. Dirty birds, they can come to Jesus. But as you think about this kingdom that's, that's growing, ask yourself, am I expecting anything great from God? Charles Spurgeon had a school for evangelists. And one of his preacher boys, he said, Pastor, he goes, I don't see anybody get saved when I preach. You preach and people get saved. I don't see anybody get saved. And Spurgeon said to him, how many do you expect to get saved? He goes, none. He goes, well, then that's, you got what you expected. Jesus taught us to expect things from God, to believe that God is powerful. He's not sleeping. I didn't need to see a movie to find out he's alive. 
And so let's pray and expect God to do great things. And finally, I have to do a faith fan check, right? Once in a while I go, hmm, seems like the pilot might be getting a little dim in there. So whatever your adversity, and I'm right there with you. I'm not, I don't wake up every morning and go, woo, praise the Lord, everything's great. So whatever adversity you're facing, my son-in-law has been a long time without a job. God, what? Don't, no, don't you, Jesus, he cares, right? He cares. And so let's pray that God will fan the flame of our faith and, and that we'll believe against our unbelief and that we'll see God do great things. Could I get an amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Just to sit at Jesus' feet and listen and be led and taught by the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to bring your kingdom. And may you send us out with faith. Lord, I'll be the first one to, to admit what a coward I am at times and how I, how I doubt you and how I forget and how I get all anxious and lean on my own understanding. Help us as a church to expect great things from the, the power of the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, while we still can, until the harvest comes, may we labor by faith. Save our children. Save our enemies. Save the lost. Heal this country. Revive your church in America. And for this, we'll give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be sure to read ahead in chapter 5 when Jesus meets a garrison demoniac.